1: that's really where the battle starts, uh, and it becomes a running fight. Of course, and and you know the Americans fall back, they fire, they fall back, uh, and and the British are kind of given chase.
0: That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor Colin Zimmerman discussing the Battle of Crosswicks Creek, and he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode of Dispatches is sponsored by Simon and Schuster, publisher of Liberty Is Sweet. The Hidden History of the American Revolution by Woody Holton. Available now wherever books are sold. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is Journal of the American Revolution contributor Colin Zimmerman, and he'll be discussing the Battle of Crosswick's Creek. One of my favorite things that we do on this show, and that we publish at the Journal of the American Revolution, are these studies of small battles that don't get a lot of attention, and in many cases that we may have never heard of, uh, that are smaller pieces in the larger machinery of the war. And the Battle of Crosswicks Creek is a great example of that. We all know the battles that surround it in the campaigns around Philadelphia, New York, and New Jersey. Um, But we don't often pay attention to these small engagements that the leaders and the on the British and Patriot sides, both really spent a lot of time preparing for. This is one of those great articles uh, that digs into a battle, again, we just don't know much about uh, until we look for it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Colin Zimmerman. Colin Zimmerman, thank you for joining us. Thanks, it's great to be here. Tell us about your background.
1: Um, Sure, Uh, let's see, I'm... uh
0: I'm from Southern New Jersey,
1: uh, Burlington County. Um, my background initially starts, uh, in living history as a kid and, uh, into, um, the civil war era. And then as I got older, um, and started realizing, you know, there was a lot of things that happened around here. Uh, I started drifting towards the American revolution, uh, in, in that broader era and, and kind of found my niche there. um, that kind of developed into uh, like an you know, obsession of researching, which brought me into uh, a master's program. Uh, and then finally has brought me to um, um, finishing a PhD
0: um, now. What first drew your interest into this topic?
1: Uh, well, this particular article
0: uh, is something that has actually started about seven years
1: ago, maybe eight years ago. Um, and it, it initially started not as a, as a, examination of Crosswick's, but, uh, actually an examination of, of, um, of, of the New Jersey continentals, um, that spent the, you know, the kind of the, the late spring into the early summer, uh, in South Jersey. Uh, and kind of, for me, it's a, it's a local history thing. So being able to kind of go around and, and, and see these places and, and, and growing up around a lot of these places they describe in their accounts, it, it really got me interested in. So I started, I started researching, um, you know, kind of that aspect, and as I got into this, um, and I found that there was a lot of, um, there was a big gap in interpretation, uh, in in, I guess you can call the first half of the Monmouth campaign, or or the end of the Philadelphia campaign, uh, depending on what you prescribe to, but uh, you know, and I found that the story was incomplete, and, and mainly the story, uh, most of the literature we have available on, on that particular time frame. Uh, is usually through the American perspective. And, and, and that kind of goes back, you know, all the way from, you know, uh, Bancroft, you know, kind of all the way up to now. And uh, it's only lately that I've discovered that, you know, there's there's more attention uh, paid to the Crown Force side of things or the British side of things. So uh, I found a huge interest in, in the fact that there was, you know, an upwards of 20,000, uh, you know, soldiers and civilians and um, a 14-mile-long wagon train that, that, you know, spent about six or seven days here in Burlington County in uh, and, and, and Gloucester County combined. So I said, you know, there, and there's not much on it, uh, you know, an occasional paragraph here or there or roadside marker. So, uh, that continental research on the New Jersey brigade turned into a, a whole, you know, uh, focus on the, on the first half of the Monmouth campaign and, and, and the Clinton, uh, Sir Henry Clinton, he kind of becomes my central character in it, um, in his strategic focus. So that research, uh, ends up becoming my uh my my dissertation for my phd and uh this article is is kind of the first
0: publishing or the
1: sampling of that
0: what was the strategic situation around the british at this time all right so this this can get pretty
1: complicated um and this is something that i I don't know if i can really do a whole lot of justice in, in, in a few minutes but um i break it into three broad phases and um if you're going to understand Clinton's situation uh, when he inherits the army uh, from Howe in Philadelphia. So I I look at probably the most important and and least discussed in any uh, of of our immediate um, scholarly work, but there's this international um, motive behind it. And and what I mean by that is, you know, uh, Britain at that point, uh in the spring of 78 you know we know France comes in and 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 joins you know the American side and it becomes this this almost world war and britain's uh or great britain's ability to defend the vastness of of the empire they inherited um at the end of the seven years war it, it begins to show that they they don't have the organizational strength to do that and and that's something i discovered um in the research and, and certainly I was guilty of prior is, you know, we kind of have this conception of, of, you know, the Royal Navy is, is, is big and powerful and, and the British army is the best in the world. And, and, and you know, and all these things. And, and what you find is, you know, to a degree that's, that's true, but to also to agree that, you know, that that's more of a later, um, uh, stigma than it is, you know, kind of in the Napoleonic era, at least I found, uh, and then, you know, you you backtrack to the revolution they're, they're not, they haven't grown into their empire yet. Uh, So, so what basically happens is there's, there's a lot of fear in London uh, of what France is going to do. And there's the realization that the North American colonies, while important, um, may not be as important as other places, uh, you know, maybe in the Caribbean or India or or other places that, you know, the the British uh, have a military presence. So there's this, idea that, you know, we need to take the bulk of our army, which is in North America and redistribute it. And the only way to do that, uh, is at least in that moment for Clinton to march to New York where the, you know, the British have, you know, uh, Naval supremacy there and the control of the harbors and they were going to redeploy troops. Um, Clinton understands this, you know, uh, and he's not happy about it. Um, in fact, he writes in his memoir that, you know, um, it is like the worst situation you could be in. Um, you're, you're, you're kind of coming in at the, at the, at the end of a failure <laughs> uh, with Burgoyne and, and the realization, you know, that Philadelphia can't be taken. And he says something to the effect of, you know, there were no circumstances. Could I have done anything uh, to, to, to uh, uh, win the war uh, under those conditions? So uh, that's kind of the international thing. So, you know, he's going to lose about half of his army uh, when he gets to New York, he knows this, he understands this. Um, but when you get into kind of like the regional aspect of it, it changes too, because now you're in Philadelphia, um, certainly if you're going to, you know, draw Washington into a battle at that point, you're going to, you know, you want to kind of do it before you lose half your army. Right. So, um, you know, but regionally he has no immediate reinforcements that can reach him from anywhere Burgoyne's army's gone um, you know and there's there's no reinforcements coming into that respect um, so we you know any offensive movement you know you can't you can't afford a pyrrhic victory right so the Royal Navy is constantly in expectance of, of a French fleet you know uh, in the back of their mind so they' they're a little skittish especially with coming up the river into Philadelphia they don't want to get stuck in the Delaware Bay, that type of thing, uh, and, and of course they're being redeployed. Uh, and then, you know, Washington's Army, um, for what it's worth, I mean Valley Forge is a, is, a, is a pretty well selected site um, for those that haven't been there. Um, you know, it, it's 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 you know, it's got a lot of good defensible hills. They built a lot of you know redoubts there, and there's a lot of good studies on that from other people that you know um, that I suggest you know people go look at if they're interested in that type of thing. But you know, Washington's Army's there, and there's really no easy way to to dislodge him out of there unless there's a frontal attack which again could risk casualties and again could risk the war so that's his kind of regional immediate right and then his immediate goal uh with the march itself and i style it as a march not a retreat and and i I guess i can get into that but um he's got to get this army out of the city right And and he's taking it by land um there, there's some debate on, you know, he could have taken the ships. And, and you know, the, the reality is from, from from my perspective and looking at it, there wasn't enough ships available to transport his entire army, all of its supplies and all of the, you know, the loyalist uh, refugees and things like that. So he's, he's almost got to take it by land, but he wants to take it by land. Um, and that's part of Clinton's persona of um, which, well, we'll get into that, I guess. But, um, you know, he's got to protect a 14-mile long wagon train, and that's principal, uh, during the entire campaign, um, you know, or the March to New York. So that's always constantly his number one concern. Um, you know, again, he's got to move 20, almost around eh, about 20,000, you know, give or take, um, through a region, uh, in, in Southern New Jersey, for those who have never been here, uh, it's, it's, it's mostly pine barrens and marshes. Um, and even today, um, for instance, in Burlington County, um, I would say about 80 percent of the population lives along the river because that's really the only habitable zone um, and where the road networks are. So the deeper you go into the pine barrens to the east, uh, there's not many roads and there's not many. There's no economy. So um, Clinton, you know, they certainly understand this from the maps and they certainly understand this from from having campaigned uh, in America for you know the last couple of years. So the the, the narrow avenue you have from what is now Camden, New Jersey to, uh, let's say Crosswicks Creek or, or Allentown or Mount Holly's. It's a very narrow window. Um, and it narrows and then before it widens. So we has to get through that, which is a great, uh, military choke point for, for a defending force. Um, there's the temperature, uh, we know from, you know, it's, it's common knowledge that, you know, that, that March in the summer of 78 was very hot, uh, and upwards of, you know, in the high nineties and, even the hundreds uh, and the humidity was horrible, just like it is now. Um, and then, you know, then, again, you have water and forage, you know, you have to think about these kind of things, um, you know, and, and you're living off the land uh, to a degree and, and something, you know, the Americans had done to their credit is, uh, you know, they clogged all the wells up denying, you know, the British army, you know, the, the chance to, uh, you know, to quench its thirst. Uh, so then you have the streams, right. Uh, and, and that's another big factor. You know, he has to get over these streams, these creeks. Well, you know, like most river systems, the creek—the closer it gets to the main river, it widens. So, you know, that becomes impossible to cross. And the further east you go, it gets into that inhabitable zone I was talking about, and so you can't go there. So you kind of have to find, you know, pretty much he has to take the bridges that are already established, but the bridges are getting ripped up by the Americans or burned or things like that. So, and this happens consistently, um, throughout the March, you know, from June 17th, all the way up to June 23rd when cross is. So daily there's Americans ripping up bridges or, you know, uh, you know, clogging up wells, those kind of things. And, and just really slowing the British March down to a degree. Um, he does establish, um, and this kind of sets up the battle, but, um, how he organizes his army is telling to, uh, in, in what I found. So, uh, again, the, the historiographic record might show Clinton uh, as kind of the, the defeated general or the British Army is kind of like just defeated, not defeated, but solemn. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a retreat and everyone's got their heads down and everyone's miserable. And, uh, you know, maybe they're miserable. It's hot. But but Clinton, if you look at his writings, and, and at least for me, if you look at his dispositions, on how he organizes his force, it, it clearly shows to me that, that he's taken an offensive or aggressive posture, and uh, he, he kind of talks about that in his memoirs. Uh, and I always take that with a grain of salt, but um, of course he writes it after everything happens. So, um, but but you know, I think the way he organizes everything shows. So he keeps he he gives uh, General Niphausen um, uh, a division of mo- it's mostly the Hessian um and and you know the other related german ethnic units and and by this time they have lost a lot of their luster uh or, or the uh you know the the edge they had you know in 76 and 77 so uh to kind of put that short the americans aren't as scared of them anymore um, if you want to look at it like that so and they're having issues and there's a lot of desertion uh within the hessian regiments and uh um, and there, that kind of plagues them throughout the march. And then he puts all of his loyalist troops or provincial troops uh, in that column as well. And there's some issues with them. Um, I believe it was the Roman Catholic volunteers. I think all of their officers got court-martialed or, or, or a fair amount of them did uh, and to the point where that unit was disbanded, I think, on the march. So, you know, he, he I don't want to call them weaker troops, but he puts his less reliable troops uh, for whatever reason in that column and he supplements it. With some, you know, British regulars uh, to support that, and they have that, you know, unenviable task of, of escorting wagons, um, you know, through the county in 100 degrees. Cornwallis's division is is kind of like his. Uh, he kind of it's kind of like similar to how how divides his forces at Brandywine to me. But he takes the best quality troops and he puts them in that division. So you have the Brigade of Guards, the Grenadiers. Uh, you have um, like the 44th Regiment, the 17th Regiment, um, you know the 42nd. You have some of these these kind of more you know well known reliable units, and and they're marching light, uh, and they have you know maybe aside from their blanket and, and their you know their their combat load, everything else is in those wagons. So they're they're moving light, they're moving quick, and they're acting as a shield, kind of arcing around Niphausen's division to protect it from any attacks in the vanguard. Uh, and probably most critical to the march through Gloucester and Burlington and Canyon counties um, is, is general Alexander Leslie. Um, and he of course is the uncle of the captain Leslie that's killed at Princeton. Um, he's a good officer. He's a reliable officer. Um, you don't hear much about him. Uh, you know, I'd like to see a study on him one day, but uh, he seems to be a man that's kind of trusted with a lot of these special assignments. So he gets command of the vanguard, which consists of uh, uh, Simcoe's Rangers, right? The Queen's Rangers. Um, uh, you have Johann Awald's with him, with his Jaegers and, and, and the other, you know, I think it's the onbox Jaegers, you know, the Hessian Yeagers. and then you have uh, the light infantry battalions, uh, along with the dragoons, that are kind of all working with Leslie, and they're going to lead this push through the county, um, beginning in, in what is now Camden. Uh, Camden County doesn't exist then; it's Gloucester, but from modern-day Kansas County, uh, and they're going to move uh, up into Burlington County. Um, and they're generally going to be following... the Niphouse's guys are going to be on the uh, the Kings Highway, and Cornwallis and Leslie's guys are going to be kind of on these side roads out in front and, and to the right, and then eventually um, they're going to swing to the west after Crosswick's to kind of act as this shield. So the, the, the first major objective... Uh, and this all again builds up to Uh The first major objective is Mount Holly, uh, and Mount Holly uh, serves as the—it's uh, the county seat currently. But uh, in the 18th century, it's it's a smaller town. There had been action that had been fought there uh, in 76—the uh, Battle of Ironworks Hill. Uh, Petticoat Bridge uh, was on the outskirts of Mount Holly, uh, so you know Mount Holly was a recognized military target. Uh, it's it's kind of kind of the center of a wheel all the roads in southern new jersey at one point go to mount holly uh so in order in order for clinton to move anywhere uh towards new york he has to take mount holly so that's that's the initial objective uh from june 17 to june 20th they get into mount holly and they finally take a rest um, now the next portion for clinton uh and, and again mount holly also uh, is where the Rancocas Creek is, or the North Branch of it. And, and again, that was there were some uh, some really neat stories about them crossing that and some fighting there. But uh, for the purposes of the article, uh, we're going to focus on Crosswick. But the Crosswicks Creek after Mount Holly is his next major obstacle. Um, and the Crosswicks uh, it, it's smaller than the Rancocas, uh, at least where they cross at. Um, but the Crosswicks Creek is, in, I guess, the modern day barrier between. Well, I guess it depends on who you ask, but generally it's it's the modern day barrier between South Jersey and Central Jersey. And what's really important about it is, is kind of in that region, the terrain starts to change. So it goes from the kind of the coastal plain, Pine Barony, flat, very flat uh, region to it starts getting hilly and, you know, eventually kind of get into these, you know, the foothills of the mountains uh, of, of the North Jersey. So and it opens up more. Uh, and there's much more farmland and wide open things. So it's very conducive to military operations uh, of that era. So uh, Clinton knows if he gets past that, then he can kind of uh, entice or induce Washington uh, to to kind of offer him battle and, and hopefully he can end the war, which is, which is the whole point of this march and the way he sets it up is to do that um, to a degree. I mean, he's... <clears throat> From his perspective, at least from what I found, it's a little different than just you know, whereas, you know, maybe Washington or you know, other people are kind of fighting for a cause that's, uh, you know, outside of them. You know, Clinton, Hal, you know, these, these guys are professionals. Too. I mean, they might have, have their opinions they might have their feelings on the war, but at the end of the day, the, you know, their career's on the line and their reputation's on the line. So if Clinton can be the man to, by this point, I think everyone clearly understands that to win the war, you need to get Washington's army. Right. We've taken Philadelphia. We've taken New York. We've hit all these places, you know, and the rebel armies are still feeling, you know, what's going on here. So, uh, and if you look back at Clinton's, you know, career, he's kind of saying this all along and it seems like no one's ever really listening to him to a degree, but, um, but yeah, so certainly he's hoping for the opportunity to be the man that defeats Washington's army, gets the laurels, goes home, gets, you know, all the, you know, all the, you know, the joys that come along with being a war hero. Um, to that degree, though, to commit your army to a Pyrrhic victory or to commit it to a situation where it's not going to benefit you. Because remember, whatever men he loses, he's not really going to get replaced because they're getting ready to all be sent to other places. So it wouldn't be worth destroying your army uh, beyond repair. To this. It, would, it would be counterproductive. And, and I think that's what the whole crux of mammoth is, is there's this opportunity and it doesn't pan out the way he needs it to. And, you know, and I think the risk outweighed the you know, uh, the reward in that. And so he just continues on. because If he continues in New York and he gets there, he's doing his job. So that's kind of the, the overall strategic situation uh, with Clinton. Uh, and, and CrossFit, again, is this last major obstacle until he gets into that terrain or that geography where he can really start to make things happen for him.
0: Who is commanding Patriot forces?
1: Sure. So. I mean, ultimately, uh, you know, Washington's in command um, of, 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 you know, at the top, and and he stays in in, in a lot of communication with, um, with the with the officers here in South Jersey. But so essentially, what happens is, you know, Washington's got that going on. He's got you know, of course, everything at Valley Forge, the you know, the Cabal. He's got von Steuben there. He's got you know, all these things happening there, and, and that's what the Continental Army's doing, and and that's kind of their focus, uh, you know, for the time being. There is more immediate commanders here um, on the ground, and that first would be uh, uh, Brigadier General William Maxwell. Um, and anyone who's in, you know, interested in the Philadelphia campaign or the New Jersey Brigade knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, this guy you know, is an Irishman. He's a veteran. I, I believe he's at the Monongahela. Uh, he's certainly in uh, the French and Indian War, and he, and he has you know, quite a bit of experience. Uh, he commands the New Jersey Brigade. Um, it's, a, it's a it's a it's a good brigade. It's one of the more reliable brigades in the army, uh, and of course Maxwell gets uh, command of that light infantry um, division in the Philadelphia campaign. Uh, you know, however, I guess he runs into some trouble, and, and they kind of disband it and that kind of thing. But but Maxwell's certainly a very capable officer, um, and, and and you know, and his colonels of his regiments are good. He's you know, they have men like you know uh, Elias Dayton, who's uh, said to have been one of Washington's favorites. You have uh, Israel Shreve, Colonel in the second New Jersey, Burlington County native, and he knows this county inside and out. And, you know, he's actually a, a Quaker, um, which is that's a kind of a common trend in a lot of the um, Burlington County militias and, and Continentals. There's a lot of Quakers, um, and it's interesting to follow their story too. But uh, you know, so then you have on the other end you have uh, Philemon Digges. He's a major general. He's the commander of, of all the New Jersey militia, and he's no slouch. Uh, That's for sure. Dickinson's uh, a very amazing individual, and and he's kind of everywhere at once. And uh, to kind of give him some credibility, I guess, um, you know, Washington's kind of infamous for not trusting a lot of militia and uh, and certainly not, you know, I don't want to say not working well with them, but, you know, certainly they're not his favorite. But uh, he has a lot of trust in Dickinson, and he actually writes Dickinson (laughs) a lot more than he writes Maxwell. And and Dickinson's information is pretty spot on, and and, and they have a good relationship. So the New Jersey Militia by '78 is a very experienced organization. Uh, A lot of these guys had um, had been involved in, 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 uh, well, you know, all the way back to the roadblock in Liverpool, and and, you know, early in '76, and you know, and they've, you know, some of these guys may have been, you know, at Fort Mercer, some of them are at Petticoat Bridge, some were at Princeton, you know, in the flying camps. I mean, they had all seen combat to a degree um they all knew their way around uh i guess army life you know into the to a degree so these men these militiamen are you know they're they're not slouches they're not maybe as good as the continentals but they're they're solid they're dependable uh and even so too uh something like of the four continental regiments um each of them get about 150 levies or drafts from the militia so even within the continental regiments by the time of Crosswicks, you know a quarter to half of its, you know, members or its soldiers or militiamen, anyway. So uh, they proved to be a good organization. Um, so what's going to happen is is, is to kind of set, you know, their part of it up is, you know, the New Jersey Continentals arrive here. Uh, the second New Jersey comes in like April, and and they're going to be sent here to kind of help relieve the British foraging that's happening down in in the, in the deep south part of New Jersey. So uh, events like Quinton's Bridge or Hancock House and and there's some fighting in around Haddonfield and those kind of things. And uh, and and they're going to kind of man these outposts and and kind of, you know, help the militia with these foraging, you know, stopping these British foraging operations. Well, more you know, the rest of the brigade comes about a month or two later. Maxwell is now here. Uh, he makes his headquarters in Mount Holly. Um, uh, Major Bloomfield or, I don't, yeah, Major you know, Bloomfield at the time, he writes about that they were teaching the New Jersey uh, brigade, the Stuyben drill or Von Steuben drill here. <laughs> so, which is pretty interesting in itself, you know, uh, somebody, because <laughs> they had left before much of that training kicked in. So, um, but I guess Washington and whoever made sure that, you know, that they learned it here. So, you know, these guys are practicing this drill, not even under the eye of, of the man who's teaching it, um, which is pretty fascinating, but the drill works out. Um, because there's a really interesting account, that comes from Ewald, uh Johan Awald of all people. I mean, here's a guy uh that is a professional, you know, when especially when it comes to to light infantry or, you know, that kind of a that kind of a task. And, and he remarks that when when the campaign opens and they leave kinda out of Camden area that the American and he, he highlights this light infantry. Uh well we didn't really have the Americans didn't have an official light infantry organization at that time. So the when I read that it struck me, I'm like, you know, like these guys must've been whatever training they had or whatever, they must've been really good for a professional, you know, Jaeger to consider them to be light infantry. Uh, and apparently their shots are pretty effective and they do, they do quite a bit of damage um, throughout the March. But so that's the, the kind of disposition to them. Uh, and I guess the last important thing for them to understand is that the command at no time is in one cohesive force. So, the, the idea was is you know Maxwell's in Malahide, but he dispatches individual companies, and, and so it it becomes these companies, you know, of whatever they are, you know, fifty men, forty men, you know, however many are in each company at that time, and and they're kind of operating solo uh, throughout the county, and and they're just kind of it, it's hard to keep track of all of them <laughs> because they're all over the place. But you know, uh, if you go off the British accounts. You know, or the they say between every fence, every stone wall, every tree line, every building, there were American soldiers. So it almost be and, you know. And then there's a you know some of these companies are in the rear of the British, nipping on the end. Uh, so they're very spread out. They're not cohesive, and there's there's really no, um, you know, not until Crosswicks do we see an established line. But, um, you know, it becomes very hard to organize anything. But they do it, and they do it, and and uh, the British uh, they never. They never capture, um, you know, any significant amount of them. So uh, their command and control is very good. Um, So I guess this brings us to to the battle and why the battle is important. So, as I said, Clinton's army is in Mount Holly on June 20th. Uh, They arrive, and and they're going to leave there um, the night of June 22nd, uh, or they're going to begin to leave there in stages. So um, when the British occupy Mount Holly, Maxwell pulled back to modern day Columbus, New Jersey, which was known as black horse, uh, then, and it's only, you know, maybe three or four miles, um, North, Northeast of, uh, of Mount Holly. So, and the patrols or the outposts are going to you know, kind of consistently engage each other. So the British are initially going to think that the American force is kind of concentrating, uh, at black horse, uh, and they're not, you know, well, they, you know, they're not, they are, but they're not, they're coming there and then they're, you know, they're kind of funneling them back towards Crosswick's the next defensive line. So there's a small battle uh, on the morning of the 22nd, uh, you know, from what they, you know, the accounts range from a few, you know, scattering shots to uh, there was, there was an organized bayonet charge. Um, it, it's a scattered fight, right? So these guys, the, the Americans that were there, the rear guard is going to fall back. And this kind of gets us into um, what's going on strategically. So, again, as I told you, Clinton's job is to protect his wagon train um, and, and get his army across this creek at this point. And, and the way he sees the that is he's going to try to decoy and shift the American forces closer to the Delaware River because Niphausen's heading the other way. So the further he can get those guys away from Niphausen, he knows his wagon train's safe. So, in order to do this, he takes Alexander Leslie, our Brigadier General Leslie, and uh, A. unit, and some other you know Hessian and Ansbach, you know uh, Yeggers and, uh, and, and a handful of other, I, I guess some light infantry, and they start heading out towards um, a place called Lewis Mill. So Lewis Mill is a separate battle that's happening at the same time as Crosswicks, and, and to kind of make the short of that is it works to a degree, but it only takes the militia away from Crosswicks, the Crosswicks line so um dickinson's convinced that clinton's going to head towards trenton which is a major not a major but it's a a continental uh supply hub at the time and and they kind of get into uh you know he's kind of got this paranoid idea about this and and they're going to you know build entrenchments there and readouts and and he really thinks clinton's going to take trenton so He kind of takes all his, and and by the way, too, Dickinson and Maxwell got along very well, uh, which is very rare, um, uh, you know, for for two, you know, uh, for a regular officer and a militia officer. and The militia officer outranks the regular officer. They didn't have any of those problems. From what it seems, they communicate well. They both kind of support each other, and and they work together, which is good. So, uh, But, you know, Dickinson says, you know, I'm going to take my men. We're going to defend down here. You know, Maxwell says, I'm going to stay here. And I guess they kind of agree to it, and and that's that. So, um, Leslie's guys get there; they 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 kind of fight over this bridge. It's an all day, you know, uh, kind of shootout. And then later in the day, uh, Daniel Morgan will show up uh, with some of his men, uh, which is the kind of the vanguard of Washington's army coming over, uh, who's crossing at that point up up near modern day Hopewell. So, <clears throat> the Crossfix line at that point is majority of continental troops there may be some militia scattered in um but it's majority continentals uh and what maxwell's going to do is he's going to take the north side of the crosshooks creek which is kind of like a a, a nice gentle rise uh, in a wooden ridge and it was wooded then uh from from what i've been able to find and, and he, and he kind of you know it's, it's a nice defensible line And uh, he's got a few hundred men uh up there but he also dispatches uh, other units, companies, platoons, that type of type of thing, into Crosswicks and about a mile or two uh, up the road uh, towards Mount Holly, kind uh, of that direction. So Cornwallis's command is again acting as that shield. they're They're moving to the left of Niphausen, and for them, the only way to do that is to cross at Crosswicks. So they they meet up, they meet uh, an American outpost about two miles outside of the village of Crosswicks and that's really where the battle starts. Uh, and it becomes a running fight of course. And, and, you know, the Americans fall back, they fire, they fall back. Uh, and, and the British are kind of given chase, uh, Clinton at the time is kind of in the front. Um, his blood's up, you know, he's an aggressive officer. And again, people that study Clinton would know this. I mean, he's, he's kind of always in the front, uh, or he's kind of always where the action is and. the I think, I think on this day, he understood how valuable the creek was and he needed to get across it. He, he wanted to be there to make sure they got across. Um, so he, he's kind of up in the front. In the front, at that point, you have uh, the Queens Rangers under Simcoe. You have uh, some of the Dragoons um, on the 17th. I believe it's the 17th. And then you have uh, some of the light infantry troops, and, and, and they're kind of this vanguard going up, chasing these um, uh, you know, patriot forces back. So when they get into the edge of town, um, the town now is uh, mostly a 19th century town. Um, the town then obviously had a lot less buildings. Uh, in the center of it is the Quaker meeting house, and scattered around that are you know are some you know maybe maybe a blacksmith shop and you know a couple of homes. It's not a big place, but it's it's a Quaker community. So the when they come down the Crossroads Chesterfield Road, which is the modern Crossroads Chesterfield Road. There's going to be an American company in front of the Quaker meeting house. They're, they're, going, to, they're going to exchange a volley. The British are going to charge. Um, the Americans are going to run away, and they're going to run away over the bridge. And when the British come around, you know, the, the Quaker meeting house kind of obscures your view uh, of the American line behind it. So when they come around the house and they see a few hundred Americans on this ridgeline, that's wooded. With a creek in front of it, they kind of stop. Um, they say, okay, like, you know, what do we do now? Uh, it's not, it's not a long pause because Simcoe's at the front and, you know, and he's automatically, let's get moving. And he starts kind of deploying his troops at the same time. Clinton arrives. And and this is pretty amazing. I mean, Clinton rides up, the commander in chief of, of British North America rides up and he commandeers a company. Uh, it would be Captain Francis, Steven's company, Stevenson's company. Of the Queens, they're they're one of the uh, one of the two light companies of the Queens Rangers, and he's gonna like personally kind of lead them into this charge. Uh, he doesn't go all the way with them, but he, he orders them. You know, and then he's getting shot at. He just pulls a final and he says, "You know, let's go. We're gonna charge." And at the same time, he must have brought. Um, it's kind of unclear how this happens, but I, I assume he brings he brings uh, McLeod's artillery up. artillery. So as he's kind of Telling Stevenson what to do, you know, the artillery starts deploying and, you know, they start, they start putting round shot over towards the Americans. Well, the Americans fire some cannons back, but from what it looks like, the British guns outclass their, their American counterparts and, um, the combination. So while they're doing that, you know, Stevenson's company charges and they make it down to Captain Stevenson's wounded. You know, they try to get across the bridge. The the Americans are ripping up the planks as they're coming across. There's some hand to hand um people are falling in the water and you know it, 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 it's it's very chaotic uh, around the bridge there to support that attack though the rest of the queen's rangers begin to move uh to the left and the light infantry and dragoons are moving to the right on the other side of the church and there's kind of this concerted push uh all at once uh and it must have been quite a spectacle because it's a few hundred uh, a few hundred of your best troops i guess your light troops you know screaming you know, Screaming like demons coming down the hill of bay, and that's at you. I mean, the Americans, uh, they kind of just left. Um, you know, they realized that, you know, the British are pretty determined to get this, and, you know, the artillery's doing a lot of damage to us, so they start retreating. Uh, from what the accounts say, that the, at the point, the bridge, um, you know, all the bodies on it and the, the bodies in the water, that the only thing that was passable were the beams, um, since a lot of the planks were ripped up. So, The Queens Rangers uh, and the Dragoons and the Light Infantry start, you know, if if they're not splashing through the creek, they're moving across the beams and they start making their way up the ridge. Well, when they come up the ridge, uh, it's 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 a dream come true for them because it's just nothing but wide open fields uh, and the backs of of these, you know, retreating New Jersey Continentals. So they just pursue uh, and the pursuit goes about another two miles, maybe a mile and a half, to a, a very, very small stream called Doctor's Creek. And there, uh, Elias Dayton, Colonel Dayton in the 3rd New Jersey, um, and it's unclear whether or not they were in the fighting down by the bridge or if they were in reserve. I haven't been able to find anything that suggests either way, but they're all there. They're formed up behind Doctor's Creek, and they stand firm. And they trade volley for volley, with the Queens Rangers and the light infantry and, uh, and, and I mean, you know, to the point where, uh, Dayton's horse is shot from underneath of them the second of the war. Uh, so it's a very intense, sharp firefight. that only ends, um, when McLeod gets his guns up finally. Uh, and you know, so they kind of pull back the next morning, uh, the next morning there's another push. And, um, by this time the British have a lot more troops over and a lot more guns. And it only lasts a few minutes. but um, Dayton's job is to kind of stop them there, so the rest of the brigade can reorganize and get back to, you know at this point they're heading back to Washington. Um, and I guess the final action, uh, the final action of which is kind of uh, kind of ironic in a sense, but it uh, as I was kind of saying, that a lot of the companies were dispersed on their own prior, uh, and they kind of had to find their own way back to the to Maxwell or, you know, whoever they were trying to get to. Uh, And one of those companies is under a guy named Captain Ross. He's also in the third New Jersey. So his company was one of the ones that were at the rear of the British line, annoying it on their march. So they're about a full day's march behind everybody else. Uh, So they get to Crosswicks just as the last British troops are crossing the bridge. And, as they, you know, they fire a few volleys, you know, it's kind of some parting shots. No one's killed or anything. And then the British rip the planks up. So then they have to rebuild the bridge for like the second time uh, and cross again. But um, that's essentially crossing. So w- w- what happens is, is they allow this, it's an attack, it's, it's, you know, the Americans may have been able to stop Clinton there. I mean, there's, there's certainly instances uh, in other battles where a much smaller American force halted it, uh, a much larger British force. And, 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 and potentially change the course of a campaign, um, but you know we, we don't really give prospects that much attention uh, in the in the greater narrative. So, but he gets through here, you know, and, and, and I think he does it in good style. Um, you know, there's there's not a whole lot of casualties on either side, um, but he, he gets through it in a day, um, and he gets his army up to Allentown, uh, and into the next phase. You know, and a couple of days later, you know, obviously Mammoth. So <clears throat> that's basically Crosswicks in a nutshell.
0: How does this article help us understand the Revolutionary Era better?
1: Well, I think I think the most important thing <clears throat> with the Revolution, um, it's, it's a very local war, and and what I mean by that, it's a very big war in terms of, of of all the places it was fought and and, and the people who fought it, but it's a very local war. Um, and, and as a New Jerseyan, um, you know, they they call our state the Crossroads, right? Um, and I don't know, if I, I've read this before, I've never confirmed it, but I've, I've heard or read that there were more battles fought here than in any other state uh, in United States history. Well, whether or not that's true, it's certainly in the top contenders, I would imagine. But um, when you figure a lot of this local history never made the national narrative in terms of, you know, you know, Washington's Crossing, Yorktown, Saratoga, right? Those are kind of the three big, you know, things that were taught in school and, and a lot of that little stuff gets to the wayside. So um, I think local history is important. I think getting out, you know, and finding these smaller actions that no one's, you know, really heard about—it's another piece in the jigsaw puzzle, right? This massive jigsaw puzzle that we're all trying to put together, so we have this complete view of the war or the, or the era. Um, and I think crosswords adds to that. I mean, even even you know, <clears throat> coming together and, and doing this research, a lot of it was done by knocking on people's doors in these towns and, you know, oral histories and, you know, and, and, these local archives, I mean, these things are treasure troves for historians. You might not find it on national archives or something like that, but if you go to some of these small time, you know, kind of, kind of back road historical societies, you'd be amazed what you find. Um, and, and it helps paint these narratives. And I think it gives us, I think the revolution, again, it's, it's, it's a large war, but it's a war made up of, of local small stories. That blends into this national narrative. And it's these small stories that need to be told. So uh, to me, that's the importance of Crossfix and, and, and you know the hundreds of other small, smaller engagements like it.
0: Colin Zimmerman, thanks again.
1: Thanks, it was great to be here.
0: The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast? the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.